The ramifications of last Sunday's Oscar telecast are still being felt from the corner of Hollywood and Vine to the other corner of Hollywood and Vine just across the street. After all, when actors are given little statuettes for pretending to be other people, all of America stops, eager to hear what they have to say, or possibly we've just dozed off. But who among us is not interested in the opinions of a beautiful millionaire actress traipsing down a red carpet in a handmade gown embroidered with the names of I'm not sure what exactly, since I was staring at her cleavage like everyone else? And which of us does not want our evening uplifted by hearing the wisdom of an actor who's kicked drugs long enough to give us the lecture he used to give to his third wife before she wised up and took the kids back to Philadelphia? We got to hear from Brad Pitt, who was bold enough to speak out against Donald Trump, risking his career by agreeing with every single powerful person he knows or has ever met. Then there was an Oscar for a documentary about the working man produced by Barack Obama, who made a deal with Netflix, likely valued at over $100 million, just after making a memoir deal with Random House valued at $65 million. The director of the documentary accepted her award by quoting the line from the Communist Manifest Manifesto, Workers of the World Unite after which she and a motley crew of Russian peasants stormed the Obama's mansion and occupied it in your dreams. And finally, there was Joaquin Phoenix's speech after winning the Oscar for Joker. Joaquin, who's still recovering from having been named Joaquin, denounced all mankind for stealing milk from poor little cows and brutally putting it in our coffee, or flavoring it with chocolate, which is really tasty, by the way, especially with just a small scoop of ice cream. I forgot what Joaquin was talking about but then so is everyone else. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. So the thing that makes politics hilarious, stupid, fascinating, inspiring, and sometimes dangerous, and we saw all of this in the New Hampshire primary yesterday, is the tension between the nature of ideas and the nature of human beings. Ideas are beautiful and fascinating things. They exert power over the minds of men and women, sometimes because of their undeniable truth, sometimes because of their appeal to our baser instincts, sometimes just because of their novelty. And once an idea has taken hold of a person's mind, it will inevitably take him on a ride to its natural conclusions. If you start by denying that individuals have inherent rights and stay with that, you'll one day find yourself in a room full of corpses with blood on your hands, wondering what the hell happened. If you start with the idea that your unique experience of life is of infinite value, but only as much value as the annoying guy sitting next to you, and you may then you may wake up looking into the face of God, who's saying to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Ideas go where they want to go, and you either get off the trolley or ride to the end of the line. Then there's people. People are not evil, but they are incredibly corrupt and dishonest with both themselves and others. This is true of every single person on earth except for me, and I'm lying. People will sell every value they have for 20 minutes of pleasure or a really nice pair of shoes. They can convince themselves they're virtuous even while they're picking your pocket and declaim on the sacred nature of marriage even while they're banging their neighbor's wife. It's not until you understand the depths of human corruption, including your own corruption, that you can enjoy politics with a smile and a stiff drink. When ideas and people get together, 
you have politics. It's like a roller coaster ride for clowns. If you want to ride on the idea of freedom, you find yourself sitting next to nasty Donald Trump, who keeps cursing at people and tweeting nonsense, and who knows, maybe doing stuff he shouldn't be doing behind the scenes. If you want to get on the equal outcome ride, holy cow, you're riding with crazy millionaire, 400-year-old Bernie Sanders, who's clutching his Fidel Castro doll and talking about a failed 19th century economic system that's left more people dead than Nazism on a bad day. It's a lunatic ride. Everyone's corrupt. All your heroes have feet of clay, but the ideas are worth fighting over and they're worth fighting for. And that's what makes the ride worth taking. And we'll take a look at how all that worked out in the New Hampshire results. And we're also going to talk about black people. Biden's counting on them. Bloomberg's apologizing to them. And Trump is courting them. I don't, I don't envy them. Let us first talk. You know, we get the mailbag coming up, which is very exciting. And, yeah! <laughs> and one of the questions is about how you can follow politics and still uh, keep your sense of humor and have a good time. And the answer is wine. Lots and lots of wine. And you want good wine. You don't want to be drinking rot gut. That's why you want to go with First Leaf. Saving money on award-winning wine you're guaranteed to love has never been easier with First Leaf. Unlike other wine clubs that guess about your favorite wines, First Leaf uses your feedback and ratings to curate wine selections personalized to your unique tastes. I've tried this. I have a habit of of falling into a rut and drinking the same stuff over and over again. First Leaf really helps that. You get started by taking the First Leaf wine quiz to assess your exact wine drinking preferences from sweetness to wine styles to even how adventurous you are. That teaches them what you like. And then First Leaf created an introductory six-pack of wine. They did this just for me, all for just $29.95. Great that's a great price, an introductory six-pack of wine for just $29.95. And then as the wines come in, you comment on them, you taste them and comment on them, and they curate your wine and it gets closer and closer to what you love. You can sign up with my link and you'll get an exclusive intro offer, the six bottles of wine for just $29.95 plus free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash Andrew. That's six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping at tryfirstleaf.com slash Andrew. And it's good wine. That's the important thing. While you're doing that, go on Amazon.com, please, and order the second book in the Another Kingdom trilogy. If you enjoyed the podcast or if you haven't heard the podcast, you can get both the first novel in the either hardcover or paperback or pre-order the second novel, which comes out in just a couple of weeks, The Nightmare Feast. Go look up Nightmare Feast or just type in Clavin at Amazon. Please pre-order and move it up the Amazon ranks. It's so helpful to me. And, you know, we don't, we did a... The uh, podcast was so successful. I don't get a lot for that, but I do get something from the novels, and I would appreciate if you would buy a copy. They're beautiful books, and uh, you'll love them. So it was a photo finish uh, between Bernie and Mayor Pete, looking at the latest uh, updates. Uh, Bernie came out with 25.7%. This is uh, just reporting uh, a few minutes ago, 98% reporting 25.7%. And Buttigieg got 24.4%. And the non-surprise, if you've been listening to the show, Amy Klobuchar moving up with 19.8%. Sad Elizabeth Warren and very sad Joe Biden did not do go do all that well. Here is Bernie celebrating his victory. Let me say tonight that this victory here is the beginning of the end for Donald Trump. With victories behind us, popular vote in Iowa and the victory here tonight, we're going to Nevada, we're going to South Carolina, we're going to win those states as well. Communism 
hasn't worked because it hasn't been tried yet. <laughs> As a kid who knows what he's talking about because he's a kid, so he doesn't know anything. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. This is a this is a system that is not entirely in people's control. Ideas have this power, and they move on their own. Here's a really fascinating uh, graphic from the Washington Post where democracy dies in darkness because they turn off the lights before they strangle it. The voters are prioritizing defeating Trump over issues. This is uh, These are exit polls. More than six in 10 voters said they preferred a candidate who could beat Trump over someone who agrees with them on the issues. Who agrees with them on the issues? Bernie Sanders, 39%. Buttigieg, 21%. Klobuchar, 12%. But who do they think can beat Donald Trump? Sanders only gets 21%, then Buttigieg leads with 28%, and Klobuchar has, gets 20%, which is the number of votes, the percentage of votes she got. That is a really, really interesting thing to see, that they think that Buttigieg can win. I don't believe that's true, but they think that Klobuchar can win because Klobuchar had the guts to stop, to get off the car of ideas. She got off the car of ideas and said, wait, socialism is not such a good thing. Joseph Epstein talks about, uh, in the Wall Street Journal, is a good writer, and he talked uh, today about the way ideas simply take over and the way progressivism is always outstripping the progressives. People are always nervous that they're not progressive enough, and people who are far left have a power over the minds, Orwell noticed this, and Epstein talks about that, Orwell noticed this, the people who are to the far left, communists, have a power over the minds of mere liberals. And the reason I think that's true is because liberals are not living out the idea to its extreme and ideas want to go to the extreme. You are on that roller coaster for clowns. The ideas are carrying you along. And what Epstein says is by ceding moral authority to the far left, the Democrats have lost the power to counter bizarre proposals with simple common sense. He says when a freshman congresswoman proposes a wildly improbable Green New Deal, instead of responding as Democrats of an earlier day would have with, what are you kidding me? They now take it seriously and several adopt it. And when two other freshman Democrats make anti-Semitic pronouncements, no one in a party overwhelmingly the choice of Jewish voters uh, has the authority to tell them to knock it off. When Democrat presidential candidates propose to provide free health care for all or eliminate college tuition and college debt or enlarge and pack the Supreme Court or eliminate the Electoral College, all of this is taken seriously. The ideas are in control. People have the chance to stop them and get off the car, but it's very, very difficult to do. All right, so let's take a look at the results. Everyone is angry at Joe Biden. Everyone is angry at Joe Biden. And Joe, Bi Joe Biden deserted the field. He left uh, New Hampshire and went to South Carolina. And he was challenged about this by a reporter. Uh, and he didn't like it very much. Let's see if we have that. Uh, do we have the cut of the reporter talking to, to Joe? Yeah, it's 11. Are, Are you concerned you, about you the, the message tonight? that you're sending to New Hampshire by going no, to South I'm Carolina? No, not. Not at all. Not at all. They know we've worked our hard here. We're continuing. We're yeah. going to go all the way to New Hampshire. And this is it. I'm not concerned about it at all. This is like you're giving up on New Hampshire. I'm not giving up on New Hampshire. Don't poke that in my face, okay, buddy? You're a lion dog face pony soldier. Don't poke that in my face, okay, buddy? He's ticked off because he's losing. And everybody is angry at Joe Biden. Here's Jonathan Chait in New York, a very left-wing writer in New York Magazine. Uh, Biden's presidential campaign is now almost certain to fail, but he has done more than any other candidate to shape the outcome, and the result is likely to be disastrous. Biden has run for president three times. 
he has not yet managed to finish higher than fourth in any primary or caucus. Biden may or may not have been a good enough politician to win a presidential campaign in his prime. He is now well past his prime. His campaigning pace is languid. His debate performance is unsettling, nor has he built the kind of campaign apparatus that could drag him over the finish line. But the thing that Chait is upset about, he says, for most of the last year, Biden sat on the largest piece of real estate in the Democratic Party. He has commanded the loyalty of voters who fondly recall Barack Obama's presidency and wish to replicate it, and whose primary goal is to assemble a majority coalition. In other words, he took up that space, and so they, nobody else could do it. Cory Booker couldn't get any excitement going on. Frankly, I think Chase is nuts. Cory Booker wasn't going to get any excitement if he wore, actually wore a clown suit and rode on a roller coaster. And Michael Bloomberg held off. He held off on his campaign. And now it's questionable whether he's going to be able to buy his way in. I, you know, I don't know why. I don't know why people expect politicians to quit for the good of the party. We got this on the right with Mario, uh, Marco Rubio, uh, who is uh, who didn't quit and basically ruined Ted Cruz's chances. And all the people on the right saying, what? What is he doing? He's making Donald Trump the candidate. And why doesn't he quit? Well, do you quit because you think the guy in the cubicle next to you might do a be- your job better? No, it's your job. It's where you get your money. It's where you get your self-esteem. Nobody cedes their position to other people. Sometimes they do. Uh, Andrew Yang dropped out saying he wasn't going to take people's money. But listen to Elizabeth Warren. Warren. Elizabeth Warren is finished. She got something like 8%, 8 or 9%. She's not going anywhere. And if she stepped aside, a lot of her, her voters would go to Bernie Sanders. If she cared about leftism, which she's just making up. But here's her ex- explanation of why she isn't stepping aside yet, although she is talking like she's thinking about it. There are so many people who are in this fight for all the right reasons. Uh, you know me, uh, did the speech and then afterwards did a selfie line. And we were there for over an hour. People are coming through and they're saying thank you and they're giving hugs and talking about what's important to them. Young woman came up by herself and she said, "Uh, I'm a broke college student with a lot of student loan debt. And she said, I checked and I have $6 in the bank. So I just gave $3 to keep you in this fight. That's what we gotta do. We got to stay in this fight with people who are counting on us. This isn't about fighting other Democrats. This is about fighting for the America we believe in. Give me your money! <laughs> she, Elizabeth Warren just took the three bucks from a student who had six dollars left. And think about that for a minute. She's so touched that this woman is dedicated to her that gave her the three of the last six bucks she had. But that's throwing that money away. That is just taking that money away. One of the things Andrew Yang said, because Andrew Yang is a class act, is what he said was, like, I'm not going to take money from people for a a campaign that's just not going to make it. So I'm stepping out. Elizabeth Warren is going to have to say that eventually, too. But not yet, because these people with big egos, they wouldn't be doing this if they didn't have huge egos. Here is a really interesting story. Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a new game artist to grow with her education tech company. But then she switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference. And you can too by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash 
Clavin. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. And by using ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter candidates, Gretchen found it easier to focus on the best ones and find the right one. In fact, after posting her job on ZipRecruiter, Gretchen said she was honestly surprised she found qualified applicants so quickly and hired a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first Day And I mean, look at, you know, when you look at the Daily Wire, I know all of you are thinking, why don't you use ZipRecruiter? And I I sometimes sit in the makeup room uh, before the show and just sob quietly asking myself the same thing. But you can see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. And when you interview those candidates, don't forget to ask them, how do you spell Clavin? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> there are no ease in Clavin. No ease in Clavin. I just make it look easy. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. And if he doesn't know that, do not hire him. And if he does know that, have him escorted out of the building. Uh, you know, I want to play just a couple of voter interviewers because the news people go out and they talk to people uh, why they're voting for the people they're voting. And uh, here is here is one cut number eight, a New Hampshire primary voter. Who'd you vote for today? Um, I voted for Amy Klobuchar. Tell me why. Uh, I actually went in and eeny, meeny, miny, moed it. You're kidding. No, between two candidates. Literally in the booth. In the booth. (laughs) Well, that's... (laughs) <laughs> Not good. <laughs> but that, you know, if you've ever been on a jury, you know, people don't act rationally. They not only don't act rationally, they act according to the shapes of things. They see candidates. When people say, oh, Pete Buttigieg, he can win. What they're looking at is they're looking at a young man who is articulate. He, everything, every word out of his mouth, you cannot tell what the hell he's saying. You do not know. He never commits to anything. I think he's a lefty. But what, what is it? Uh, somebody called him in the Wall Street Journal the other day, an articulate community. That's what he is. I've talked about the fact uh, that he's gay and that is going to be a problem for a lot of religious voters, but it's also going to be a problem for black voters. I mean, black voters uh, defeated in California. They defeated the measure to approve of gay marriage, right? Proposition 8. And nobody, it's, it's amazing. We live in this nursery school culture where nobody wants to talk about these things. Everybody says, well, he's not popular with black voters. And then their voices just trail off because they don't want to mention it's because he's gay. You know, the, the thing about it is, you know, I have absolutely no grievance against gay people. It has nothing to do with that. I'm just talking about attitudes in the country that are that are sincerely held. You know, people use these dismissive terms like homophobia. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. It is a moral objection to using sex not in accordance with what people think to be its telos. I don't happen to agree with that, but but it is a completely sincere moral feeling that people have. And if they think they're going to hide this from people, and if they think they're going to hide it from black voters or any or Catholic voters or any voters, because there are a lot of left-wing Catholics too, they're nuts. They're nuts. That's not going to happen. So people are saying, yes, he scores very high on on that exit poll of what people people that they think can beat Donald Trump. I don't think he can beat anybody. I'm not even sure he would take California, uh, Pete Buttigieg. I'm, I'm really not. And, you know, you can call me a bigot, but that's not what it's about. I'm just judging the mood of the people and the opinions of the people and the fact that they think they're not going to talk about this. So people do not vote totally rationally. And that's important because that's part of the human versus ideas thing. And here's another one uh, from cut number nine. I want to say the reason I went for Bernie is um, because of MSNBC. And very go on. (laughs) 
I think it is completely cynical to say that he's lost 50% of his vote um, from the last time when there were two candidates. The stop Bernie cynicism that I heard from a number of people, I watch MSNBC constantly, so I heard that from a number of commentators. And so that just, it made me angry enough. I said, okay, Bernie's got my vote. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. (laughs) That's the other thing. That's the other thing. The media has an effect, but you never know what that effect is going to be. All right, now let's take a look, you know, at at this issue of black people, because this is a huge issue now for every candidate, including Donald Trump, who did great in New Hampshire, by the way. He got a lot more votes uh, than anybody, uh, than even Obama did, um, almost twice as many votes as Obama did when he was running unopposed. Um, But Biden came out, and this sad Biden who deserted his People working for him, he left them there, didn't even give them a concession speech. He just deserted them in New Hampshire and went to South Carolina because that's where the black people are. It's like, help me, uh, Obi-Wan, black people, you're my only hope. And here's here he is talking. uh, Cut seven. We just heard from the first two of 50 states, two of them, not all the nation, not half the nation, not a quarter of the nation, not 10 percent, two, two. Now, where I come from, that's the opening bell, not the closing bell. So when you hear all these pundits and experts, uh, cable TV talkers talk about the race, uh, tell them it ain't over, man. We're just getting started. You're a lion dog face pony soldier. <laughs> he is a lion dog face pony soldier because he's I think he's done. I, I think he's done because he's a bad candidate. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not saying numerically he couldn't come back. He couldn't overcome losing the two states. He's right numerically. He's actually right numerically. But he is going to talk to black people and he is depending, counting on minorities to take him over the top. Now, here is a minority left wing voter, Van Jones, who has another uh, totally different take on this. And Van Jones is a, a good commentator. He actually, you know, he and I obviously disagree on all the issues, but he has a lot to say and he actually is paying attention. Uh, and here, here's his comment on Biden's strategy. He's doing this rope-a-dope strategy. I'm just going to get pounded in Iowa. I'm going to get pounded in New Hampshire. And I'm going to come back based on black people kind of lifting me over uh, this sort of, you know, all these deficits. And uh, maybe it'll work for him. But it's a very odd strategy. It's a very weird strategy, and I don't know if he knows, African Americans actually, we are watching TV tonight and see you can't get white votes. And the reason that African Americans liked Obama is that he could, Obama yeah. could get some white votes too. Right. And so it's a bizarre kind of a thing. It's a sad thing. thing. Um, for me, I got a chance to work for Biden uh, in the Obama White House. Uh, there's nobody who's got a bigger heart. There's nobody who cares more. Uh, there's nobody who, who, who understands the pain of ordinary people more. Uh, it's sad to see where he is in this campaign. But this strategy, I think, is going to blow up in his face. Well, see, this is the thing. <laughs> actually a great insight. It doesn't help if you get the black voters, if you don't get the white voters. And the black voters know that, right? So they, he, as, what, as Van Jones said, if the black voters were watching Obama and saying, oh, here's a candidate who can get the white votes, so we're in. Right. They didn't go for Cory Booker because he couldn't get the white vote. So what's the point? Right. You don't just need you need black votes to be a de- to win as a Democrat, but you don't just need them. B- an ex- excellent insight. Now, then you've got Bloomberg and this is Bloomberg. Uh, Bloomberg's position is now interesting because he is doing that thing that I say usually does undermine a candidate when he's waiting. He's holding back. Giuliani did it. Didn't work. Biden essentially did it, saying, I'm not going to win in New Hampshire and Iowa, but then I'm going to soar to the front. Let's see if that works. I don't think it will. Bloomberg, uh, yeah, Bloomberg is pouring millions, hundreds of millions of his infinite resources into ads everywhere and just squatting 
on Super Tuesday, waiting for them to come down the pike. And now he's got a really interesting problem. Some of his old stuff has come out. His old interviews have come out. Not that old. This is like from five years ago, where he talked about Stop and Frisk, a very effective uh, program to get guns off the streets of New York that was struck down by a federal judge. It was struck down as a federal judge saying it wasn't fair because black people were getting stopped and frisked more than white people. And Bloomberg said, well, yeah, because that's where all the crime is. Here is the cut that's now being sent around. But those cops, where the crime is, which means in minority neighborhoods. So it's one of the unintended consequences is people say, oh my God, you are arresting kids for marijuana that are all minorities. Yes. That's true. Why? Because we put all the cops in the minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why do we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. And the way you get the guns out of the kids' hands is uh, to throw them against the wall and frisk them. So, yeah. So... So at first when I heard this, now Bloomberg has apologized for this. He's apologized for Stop and Frisk. Stop and Frisk was a highly effective program. It was a really effective program to get illegal guns off the street. You stand with any cop on a street corner, he will tell you who is carrying a gun because it makes your clothes shape differently. Cops are experts at this. They can spot it a mile away. So they were taking guns away. Who are they taking guns away? From black kids. Why? Because that's where the murder is. That's where the murder rate is high. The murder rate among uh, blacks is huge. And of course, it's blacks who suffer from it, too. So at first, when I heard this about Bloomberg, and I heard a lot of conservatives saying this, they said, what's the problem? It's the truth. He's just telling the truth. Why does he apologize? And oh, he's, he's apologizing. He's going to be apologizing for this for weeks. And, and you think, well, why do black people need to be apologized about? But then they started thinking about it, you know, and I thought there are ways and ways to tell the truth. There are ways and ways to tell the truth. You're an honest black guy, which is the majority of black people. You're walking down the street and you're getting stopped by the cops all the time. Yes, the fault does not lie with the police officer. The fault lies with all the criminals who are the same color as you. It's offensive anyway, and it's painful, and it makes your and it really can ruin your day. Thinking I'm walking around with this skin God gave me in the image of Himself. He made me in the image of Himself, and the cop is stopping me because of that. You know that's painful. That is a painful thing. I mean, it would be painful if you're a white person. It would be painful to you if it happened to you. You know, I, I sometimes think about uh, you know patriotic uh, America-loving Muslims. And think, well, why can't they understand that we're searching them because their they're co-religionists are starting trouble? But I understand, you know, it's painful. So there's the thing about Bloomberg, and this is just true of him. He's a billionaire. He thinks he's king. He thinks you are peasants. And when you talk about throwing somebody up against the wall and taking the gun away from them and you're a politician, somebody's son. You know, somebody's father. It said, like, you know, that's what he's talking about. And it's the tone he was taking there. He said, you know, you could just Xerox the description. There are all these black guys. You just Xerox the description of the criminal. They all look exactly alike. You know, I understand there's some truth to that. But that is a really dismissive, disrespectful way to talk about people. And if you're a politician, you're trying to court people and trying to, uh, you know, get win their vote. It, it wouldn't, you know, if it were an accident, it would be one thing. But it really is who he is. It's the way he treated people when he tried to ban sodas. You know, like, you don't, you don't know what you should be drinking. I'm, I'm a billionaire. If you're so smart, why aren't you as rich as me? That is essentially his attitude. I know a lot of billionaires. I know a lot of billionaires who have exactly that attitude. And I think that that's going to hurt him in the long run. So that's the thing. You know, it's, it's not that, that uh, black people can't hear the truth. Like all of us, I like all of us, we can hear the truth, but you don't have to hit us in the head and make us feel that way. The question, the real question here is how many uh, voters 
are like this lady who was uh, interviewed outside of a Trump rally. This is cut two. Growing up, you know, black in America, you're told that you're supposed to just be a Democrat. So one day I asked myself, why am I a Democrat? And so I did the research of why I'm a Democrat, looked up what the Democrats were about. Then I did research about what the Republicans were about. And I realized that I've never been a Democrat. Anything that I stand for, everything that I was raised, my beliefs, my thoughts, it's all towards the Republican Party. And so then whenever I got there, I was able to get rid of my TDS my Trump derangement syndrome, and I was able to open up my eyes and actually listen to him and give him a chance. And, you know, black people, we don't like to be stereotyped or penalized or placed in a category. So I'm like, if I'm doing that to him and I don't want that done to me, then who am I? So it just kind of put me in a different mind space. You know, and obviously we on the right know what, what the media is trying to not let that lady know is we're dying for her to come over. We want her in. And, you know, that actually means taking account of things that happen to black people that don't happen to white people. I'm more than willing, more than willing to acknowledge and admit that a black person is having experiences that I'm not having and those things have to be addressed. What I'm not willing to say is that she or he is essentially different from me. If she doesn't want her kids to be safe and to go to school and to have safe neighborhoods, then I, then maybe we're so different uh, we can't understand each other. But that's what Trump understands, and it really is an open question whether while Joe Biden is chasing these black guys who are saying, hey, he's not getting white votes, why should I give him my vote? Uh, and while Bloomberg is apologizing for saying things that revealed his attitude, it's not the facts that he revealed, it's the attitude that he revealed. That while he's apologizing for that, Donald Trump is saying, hey, look, look, school choice, jobs, anti-crime, treating people, you know, letting people out who maybe were put away for small crimes. That's a very good pitch. And it's going to be really interesting to see whether that has any effect. Last election, Donald Trump did better than John McCain and Mitt Romney, but he didn't do better than Republicans usually do in elections with, with the black vote. This time, he's got a record. He can go in and talk to them. He's willing to talk to them. He's willing to address the question. And that, to me, is a really interesting fact. So I think this is, you know, the black vote is not the only vote, but it is a decisive and interesting and exciting vote. And it would be wonderful to see if the young people especially are coming around and opening their minds. You know, when you go online, you are exposed. And a lot of times you think, well, why would they come after me? But they will. They will come after you and they'll steal your information and they will use your information and they can ruin your life. I have signed up with LifeLock Identity Theft Protection and it is a really good thing. It really pays attention to the threats to your identity and you can miss those threats even if you're dutifully checking bank statements and monitoring, monitoring your credit. LifeLock Identity Theft Protection will help you out there. They use propriety te proprietary technology to detect your private information on the dark web and other potential identity threats. And if you do have an issue, and this is the big thing to me, if you do have an issue involving identity theft, LifeLock's identity restoration specialist will work to fix it. You can't do it. It's a mess. So, of course, no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But with LifeLock, you get identity theft protection and you get help restoring things if things go wrong. Up to 25% off your first year. Just go to LifeLock.com slash Clavin. That's LifeLock.com slash Clavin for 25 25 percent off and you have to go on the dark web first to find out how do you spell clavin that's what they say it's k it's k it's the dark web so they talk like it's k-l-a-v-a-n last week i told you about this terrific new podcast the cold war what we saw featuring my friend bill whittle over the weekend this podcast reached number one in history podcast number five on all of apple podcasts so 
you know I have great taste, so you know why I'm telling you about this. The Cold War, what we saw, captures what it was like to live through major events like the Berlin Airlift, the Korean War, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and the space race. The story is so well told. Bill does this stuff so well. And the setting is so brilliantly descriptive that as you go through these events, you start to understand the battle, not only for capitalism, but for civilization itself. The first two episodes in this 12-part podcast are available for you right now. This is a perfect time to listen as the 2020 election gets even crazier and the left swings more and more radical as if they want to fight the Cold War all over again. Just go to dailywire.com slash Cold War and start listening to this incredible and incredibly important story. That's dailywire.com slash Cold War. And while you're there... This is a good time to subscribe because we're going to tell you everything you need to know about the craziness of the upcoming elections. And we will tell you for 20% off if you go right away. You can stay informed on all things 2020 with 20% off all memberships. Don't wait any longer. This promotion is ending soon. 20% off all memberships when you use the promo code DW. 2020. Members get our articles ad-free, access to all of our live broadcasts and show library, the full three hours of the Ben Shapiro show, select bonus content, access to the mailbag, access to the mailbag. That's all you need to know because all your problems will be solved. That's it. You will sound just like that. Plus, you get all these great new things we have. All access tier gets you into live online Q&A discussions with me, with Ben, with Matt Walsh, Knowles, and or our site's writers and special guests, Everything going on with everything going on, you can turn to us for answers. Some of those answers will actually be correct, and and you will also be able to download the Daily Wire app, which you'll love. Again, this is only for a limited time, so don't hesitate any longer. That's promo code DW twenty twenty for twenty percent off. Join today and stay informed on all things twenty twenty. Mailbag coming right up. Mailbag. It is Wednesday, my dudes. <laughs> A little different, but uh, we'll see how that goes from Becky. Hi, Andrew. Apparently, I'm doing it wrong because last week I was really annoyed with Mitt Romney. Last week, I said, if you're not enjoying politics now, you're doing it wrong because things were going so well. She says, I fixated on what I see as a two-tier justice system with a vicious, vindictive, power-hungry cabal threatening our country and future. I'd really love to hear how to do it right because it would be so welcome to have your equilibrium about today's events. In fact, I'm one of those came for Ben, stayed for you and Michael Knowles precisely because you both are more positive. Help me, oh bald one Kenobi. You're my, well, not my only hope, but definitely my first choice. Well, thank you, <laughs> Becky. Realism. Realism is the way to be happy in politics, all right? If you have this imagination where you think one day the people who say stupid things, the people who are against freedom, the people who are dishonest are going to go away, you're not living in this world. In this world, there are always going to be corrupt people. There are always going to be people who want your freedom. They're always going to rise to the top of politics because most of us don't care, don't want to control other people. So we don't want to be in politics. We want to be left alone. So we stay away from politics. If you think those people are going to go away, you're always going to be miserable. You have to understand that they're going to be there. Some days they're going to win. On those days, you can be unhappy that they won. But on the days that you defeat them, on the days that Mitt Romney is the only vote against President Trump and Trump, these unfair and ridiculous, absurd charges against Trump are thrown out and you notice that, oh, his popularity rating went up 10 percent because of this stupid impeachment thing. That's a good day. That's a good day. I, I've said this before, but I, I like to tease Ben that because he's an idealist and think, think, thinks things can be perfect, he's always angry at how things are going. And because I'm a 
a tragedian. I have a tragic view of life, and I know things can go terribly, terribly wrong. I'm always happy that they're better than they could be. I, I tell him that he's he's uh, unhappy that it's not 1956. I'm delighted it's not 1936. So it's all about realism. There's always going to be a Mitt Romney. There's always going to be a Nancy Pelosi. There's always going to be uh, John Brennan's and, and people like that, uh, James Comey's, deceptive people who work behind the scenes to undermine things in an unfair way. They are always going to be there. On the days you win, that's a good day. And in America, you win a lot. In America, I mean, really, my whole life uh, has gone, in politically speaking, it's been a good situation. There are times when things can go desperately, desperately wrong. That's why you should never listen to people who are using overblown language. We're saying this guy's Hitler or this guy's Stalin or this guy's that or this or that, because those guys were real people. Those guys really did the things they did. They really did cart people off and destroy them en masse. They starved people en masse, tens of millions of people. Here in America, most of the time, that's not happening, okay? Most of, I mean, about 99.9% .9 of the time, that is not happening. People do bad things, people make mistakes, but you don't get the kind of evil you get in some kind of, in some civilizations that you have gotten before. When that arises, then the time will come to be miserable, uh, to get on a train to somewhere else. But until then, it's a beautiful day. Uh, from Jamie, dear prize-winning author and successful scribe, Andrew Clavin, an issue I find dating in L.A. is that many single guys are Peter Pan boys. They're not in any hurry to grow up, and they work in the industry. That's what we call show business here in L.A. That's the industry. I don't want to disparage a whole industry, but my eyes roll when I hear a guy say he's working on a script or he's only working this odd part-time job while trying to break into the industry. However, I also know plenty of people have real work in Hollywood. Is there a way to tell the Peter Pan boys and dreamers sitting in coffee shops apart from hardworking, solid men who happen to work in Hollywood but could, like you, provide for a family? Really good question. I brought this question to my wife because my wife married me when I had nothing and no prospects. And I told her, I'm a writer. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a writer. And I, I said to her, how do you know? How do you know? Now, I have to be honest. I'm not sure if this in this question, if you're asking, how do I know if a guy has a good job or not? which is, that's simple. You know, you ask him if he's working in the industry, you can go on IMDB and find out what his credits are. But I think what you're asking is, how can I tell if this guy has a future if he's not just a, a dreamer? Now, my wife's aunt, I, so I said to my wife, how do you know? How did you know to, to stick with me uh, instead of uh, some business guy who you knew was going to make a living? My wife said, you have to have an instinct for this. And she does. She knows a talented person the minute he walks into the room. It is amazing. I, she, she will walk in. She knows my friends who have talent. When my writer friends come over, she says, oh, yeah, that guy's a writer. That one's not a writer. That doesn't mean they'll succeed, by the way. It's not just talent. It's luck, of course. Luck is always a big part of any success. But it's also durability. Uh, it is uh, adaptability, saying this is not working. I'm going to do this. And it's, it's a lot of different things that go into it. Personality, having a thick skin and being able to stand rejection. But talent is an important part. My advice, don't date in the industry. It's a stupid place to find guys. It is a stupid place to find guys. The arts are not a good living. If what you're looking for is somebody who will give you security and take care of you and your children, the arts are a terrible place to look. I mean, if you're doing that because you like artists, because you like people who work in the industry, then you're going to be taking your chances. But you have about a thousand percent better chance of finding a responsible guy in business or in law or a doctor or something like that. So it's just like, marry a doctor, marry a doctor. I mean, but that's that's why that's why Jewish mothers say that stuff, because the odds are so much better. So I'm not sure why you're even looking in the industry. Maybe you work in the industry yourself. But if 
you do, you have to have you have to have a knack for spotting the people who have real talent and who are willing to work to make that talent come to life. Because having talent again is not the only thing. You, re- I mean, the one thing you can say about me is I always was a very, very, very hard worker and became a harder worker as things went along. And so that was something uh, also that uh, that my wife maybe spotted. But that's that's the way to do it. I mean, if you're if you really are looking for somebody who's going to be steady and supportive and be uh, the dad who comes home and takes care of things. The arts are a terrible place to look. Um, from Mario, Lord of the Balding Multiverse, a longtime listener, huge fan. My question to change my life, hopefully for the better, is there material proof for the existence of God? If yes, what is it? If no, why isn't there? Doesn't there have to be? Well, okay, no, there's not. Is there proof like, like proof positive, like proof that this microphone is here, this computer is here? Of course not. Think of what life would be if their proof was so solid that you essentially had to believe in God. One of the reasons I believe that God puts freedom so high up on the list, I mean, it just, it just makes sense, right? If he wants to create people who love him, he's got to make them free. If he wants to create company for the angels, company for himself, he's got to create people who are free. What is the good of creating people who must love you, who must obey you. If there were proof of God, incontrovertible, incontrovertible, intellectual, undeniable proof of God, you wouldn't be free to deny him, to walk away. You wouldn't be free to to decide whether to love him or not. With that kind of overwhelming omniscient power, you would have to love him, have to obey him. He wants you to be free. And that's why there's not that kind of proof. The real question, though, the real question is, do you believe in the human experience? Do you believe in the experience of love? Do you believe in the experience of morality? Or do you think these things are just tricks of the light? If you think human beings are uh, just kind of passing through and their, their, uh, their perceptions of the deeper meanings of life are not real, then you are free not to believe in God. But if you believe in love, if you believe it is an actual thing that you are perceiving, not just a thing you're feeling, if you believe in morality, if you believe that the uh, the right of a child not to be hammer you know hit over the head with a hammer is absolute whether people agree with you or not uh, then you really have to start believing in God recently I heard uh, Douglas Murray uh, who is a really fine writer he is I've read both his books well, his latest one is the madness of crowd and he called himself a Christian atheist and what he meant by that was he didn't believe in God but he did believe in all the values that came out of Christianity and I thought well that's like seeing footsteps in the snow but refusing to believe that anybody walked there. Because once you believe in those values, if you don't just believe those values happen to be nice, but those values are real values that you are perceiving with your moral sense, then you have to believe that something about Christianity is true, is essentially true. You may not have to believe in every single line of the Bible. I know a lot of people think you do, but you might not. But you have to believe something about Christianity and its supernatural claims is true and underlying the natural world. And that is the real question. So if you're looking for proof of God, ask yourself this. Do you believe that it is better to give a beggar bread than it is to torture a child? If you believe that that's true, and you believe it would be true even if you landed on a planet where every single person was a Nazi and thought it was better to torture a child than to give a beggar bread, if you still believe they would all be wrong, then you believe that morality is a real thing that we perceive. 
that we are, we're not just creating reality out of our need for it, that we're actually perceiving it. And if you believe that's there, then you really have to believe in God. And if you want to hear more about that logic, by the way, you might read my memoir, The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. Uh, while you're ordering, pre-ordering uh, The Nightmare Feast, you can get The Great Good Thing as well, because I really go through the entire argument from start to finish. All right, from Ashley, uh, as a 22-year-old man who has committed himself to not have sex until marriage, something I hear a lot is that I need to sleep with someone before committing to a relationship to see if we're compatible. As a happily married man yourself, I'm curious as to how real a concern this is or if it's something that changes over the course of a relationship. Am I being naive in doing this? I've given a lot of thought of this to this, Ashley, because I didn't live that life, uh, but I respect that life a lot. And no, you're not being naive at all. There is nothing you can learn. I've, I, like I said, I've really thought this through. There's nothing you can learn from sleeping with a woman that is going to guarantee that you are compatible over time. Your relationship, your sexual relationship, which I think is a very important part of marriage, but your sexual relationship will change over time. Of course it will. You know, you have different needs as a young person than an older person. You can't tell whether somebody is going to be faithful. You can't tell whether somebody is going to keep their sexual drive. I mean, sometimes people just say, you know, I, I don't want to do this anymore. All of that is, is stuff that you are taking a chance on. It is so much more important to know whether you like somebody and whether you enjoy spending time and whether your values are in keeping with each other. I don't think it's a bad thing to, if you're going to be uh, going to uh, marriage without having sex, I don't think it's a bad thing to have a conversation about sex and where you feel about it and whether you feel like, oh, you know, you can understand the other person's desires and uh, and get in line with them. But I don't think that actually sleeping with anybody is going to tell you anything. And in fact, it may delude you into thinking, wow, that was great. I'm going to marry this person. And six months later, you find out, oh, I don't even like this person. So I think that, I, no, you're not being naive at all. And I think talking and finding out about values, finding out whether you like somebody, whether you really want to spend time with that person, uh, and, and whether they, too, have some kind of attitude towards sex that is like yours, I think those are all, all much more important than the actual experience, which can be just as delusive as any other sensual experience. i got to stop there, but I will be back tomorrow. You don't want to miss it because this is the last day before, that will be the last day before the Clavenless weekend. You want to get all the Claveny goodness you can. So we'll be back with more Clavenalysis. <laughs> I just made that up. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Syabitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Bernie comes out on top, Biden and Warren collapse, and Bloomberg lurks in the shadows waiting to buy the nomination. But the biggest winner of all in the New Hampshire presidential primaries was Donald Trump. 
Don't take my word for it. We look past the top line numbers to the hidden lessons of last night's vote. Then, Jesse Smollett's attacker is finally brought to justice and an injustice is corrected in the sentencing of GOP operative Roger Stone for the unforgivable crime of working for President Trump. Check it all out on The Michael Knowles Show.